Thank you, Jesus, for the flooding of knowledge. Understood, Rando, for the treasures of knowledge, for Christ in whom I hid the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Revelation. Let it fall as rain. Let it distill as dew. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. What a glory. Please be seated. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Praise God. You ready for the word? All right, so um, we went for a commercial break from Christ, the riches of eternal forgiveness. But thank God we are resuming the break today. Hallelujah. So we've done part 1 to part 14, right? We've done 14 series teaching on Christ, the riches of our eternal forgiveness. Anything you want to understand about forgiveness is in this message. It's a 14 series teaching because we decided to use uh, this series... To deal with anything about the concept of sin forgiveness of sin and anything about the issues of sin so anything about sin you find it in this series praise God now I always love to do a recap because it helps establish understanding we dealt with the seven things that Jesus Christ did to our sins now if you're here for the very first time uh, forgive us because we might say some things that uh, you might not have heard before so you will have to go and take part 1 to part 14 of that teaching so you can catch up with us but I'm just doing a, a recap so that you can uh, appreciate what we're doing so we dealt with the seven things that Christ did to our sins we said number 1 he forgave all our sins now, please pay attention. I'm sure some of you might have forgotten what we taught. But you, you need to pay attention. We said Jesus forgave all our sins. Colossians chapter 2, the verse 13. He says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Now, the word forgiven is actually past tense having forgiven all your trespasses now the word all there it's actually the past present and future sins now some people struggle to agree or come to terms with the fact that the believers past present and future sins have been forgiven and to some extent some uh, ministers are scared to say this because they feel if a believer knows that his future sins are already forgiven he will want to sin more any believer who gets to know about his freedom in, in Christ and feels like it's time to sin more, I understand you because you are still a babe. You are still a babe. 
It is babes that take advantage of freedom. Adults use freedom as self-imposed slavery. Praise God. Adults use freedom for responsibility. So understand when you feel that way. But you see, the essence of knowing what Christ did for us is the basis of service and responsibility. I'll come to that later. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus forgave our past, present, and future sins. Uh, someone will ask, how did he forgive my future sins? When Jesus died on the cross, that was 2,000 years ago, you were not even born. Your parents were not even born. Your grandparents were not born. Your great-grandparents were not born. So, you were not yet in the system to even commit a sin. So, all your sins were in future past, future present, and future future. So, when Jesus died, he died for all your sins in eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. Praise God. So, believers must come to terms with this reality. God is not a man. He became a man in Christ Jesus. But what he, he does is supernatural. What God did in Christ is supernatural. So we cannot reason the redemptive work of Christ with our logical reasoning. Praise God. It is logic to think that Christ forgave our past sins. But it's not logic to think that Christ forgave our future sins. That is why we don't try to logically explain redemption. The Bible says by faith we understand. The best way of understanding is believing. Christians believe to understand. Didn't you hear that Christ died for you and you just believed? Yet you did not know the details. After believing, you are now coming to terms with the details. So by faith we understand. So, you don't need to get everything figured out before you believe. Believe and understand. Praise God. So, he forgave all our sins. The believer is forgiven. Praise God. Alright. Number two, Jesus removed our sins. He removed it. John chapter 1 the verse 29 John saw Jesus and said behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world the word take away in Greek is iro it's iro which means to lift up it means to release it means to carry away now when we say Jesus Christ took away your sins we are saying that all the consequences of your sins has been taken by him. In other words, the punishment for your sins has been taken by him. That is why a believer can still sing in the New Testament and other grace. When we say Jesus took your sins, we are saying he has taken the punishment of your sins. The wages of your sins has been taken. Praise God. Are you following Now, when we say Jesus Christ dealt with your sins, we are saying that, number one, he dealt with the power of sin over your life, and number two, he dealt with the consequence of your sins. He dealt with sin's dominion over your life and dealt with the consequences of your sins. In other words, 
um, in his redemptive work, the power of sin was destroyed in what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection. Then also, the punishment you are supposed to receive for sinning was also taken by Jesus Christ. Can a believer sing in the New Testament? Yes. Will he be punished by God when he sins? No. Why? Because all the punishment for our sins was placed upon Jesus. In Isaiah 53, the Bible says he was bruised for iniquities. He was uh, wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for iniquities. The chastisement. The word chastisement is punishment or, or death dealing blow. So Jesus received the death dealing blow of our sins. The punishment or the chastisement of our sins was upon him and by whose stripes we are healed. So in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, he removed our sins. Number three, he buried our sins. We saw that in Micah chapter 7 verse 18. Uh, we said that because Micah was a prophetic book and all the prophets prophesied about Jesus Christ and his work. He says, who is like unto thee? Now come to the verse 19 quickly. He says, well, he will turn again, he will have compassion upon us, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou shalt cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Now, the depths of the sea actually there means that your sins are buried in hell. Because when Jesus died, he did not go to heaven straight. Because he died as a sinner, and when a sinner dies, the sinner perishes into hell. So because Jesus became sin and a sinner on the cross, he went to hell. And that is where he damned your sins. Praise God. So Jesus buried your sins. Where are your sins? In hell. So if you're looking for your sins, go to hell. But I am going there. Praise God. Number four, we said he forgot your sins. In Hebrews chapter 10, the verse 17, God himself makes a promise. Now, come to the verse 16 first. And this is where people have not come to terms with, especially with the realities of the New Testament. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Say the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and, and in their minds will I write them. Now watch the verse 17. He says, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. We said the word no more means no more. But in Greek, it means not now, not ever. In fact, it is repetitive. Never, 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 never. Hallelujah. Number five, we said, he does not count our sins against us. He does not count our sins against us. Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Now watch this for yourself. We have explained this with many scriptures already, so you need to get a teaching. He says, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not in, not what? Not imputing. We said the word imputing in Greek is logizomai, from which we have the English word logarithm. And from which we have the English word log. So when he says, uh, not imputing their sins. He says, not logging their sins. It means not counting their sins. It's an accounting term. It means to recon or to count or to account. 
So when the Bible says God does not impute our sins to us, he's saying he does not count or account it. He does not log our sins. Can a believer sin in the New Testament? Yes. What happens? God does not impute it to him. Why? Because your sins was imputed into Christ. Praise God. Are we making light of sin? Yes. And we are making weight of Jesus. We are making weight of Jesus. We are making men know what Jesus did. We are magnifying Jesus and adding weight to what he did. That's what we are doing. So we are letting you know that sin has no power over you because Jesus dealt with it on the cross. The Bible says, for sin shall not have dominion over you because you are not under the law but under grace. Romans 6.14 That means if you find a man desperately, deliberately, consciously sinning by heart, it means this man has lost revelation of grace. Praise God. No one who has encountered the true saving power of grace will enjoy sinning. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. That means sinning is actually absence of revelation. If his word is in your heart, you will not. Praise God. In Romans chapter 4, the verse 6. He says, even as David also Describe the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. The verse 7. He says, saying, this is what David prophesied in the Old Testament. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven. So nobody was forgiven in the Old Testament. Every sin that was committed in the Old Testament was covered. That means it was still there. The blood of bulls and gold, the Bible says, it is impossible to take away sin. So, it was covered, yet it's still there. Praise God. It was only in the redemptive work of Christ that his blood washed, bloated, and dealt with sins permanently. And the Bible uses the word of love once and for all. Praise God. He says, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. This was prophesied by David. In David's time, sins were covered. So that was a revelation he had in his time. In the New Testament, sins are washed. They are washed. Revelation 1.5. Look at that. He says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. Why does the Bible call him a faithful witness? Who is a witness? One who witnesses an event that happens. He's saying Jesus is the faithful witness because he actually faithfully witnessed what he did for you. He saw himself die, buried, and raised. So he's a faithful witness. So he says, and the first begotten of the dead. That means he was the first to be born from spiritual death. So he says, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. I, I told you, uh, love, God's love in the New Testament is not futuristic. It's always used in the past. God has loved you. He says, to him that loved us and washed us from our sins. In the Old Testament, men were not washed from their sins. 
Their sins were covered. In the New Testament, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. I told you the word blood there. Don't just think of red liquid. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when blood is shed, what does it mean? Life has been taken or given. So when the Bible says he washed us in his own blood, he's telling us that he has washed us in his entire redemptive work. The entire life. Praise God. So, uh, I'm going ahead of myself. Number six, we said he was punished for our sins. He was punished for our sins. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Now watch this. He says, uh, uh, 18, sorry. First Peter 3, 18. Now watch. He says, For Christ also once had suffered for sins. He suffered for what? So his death was a suffering for sins. When Jesus died, he actually went through suffering for sins. Was it his sins? It was whose sins? Your sins. So Jesus suffered for your sins. So if Jesus suffered for your sins, will you ever suffer under God for your sins? No. But on this earth, you might suffer for your sins if you go and steal. You will suffer for your sins when you do that which the government or people don't like or accept in this world. If you snatch a woman's handbag, they won't wave at you. Praise God. I heard of a guy who was angry because someone was taking the girlfriend. He went, located this guy and poured acid on his face. Punishment for sins. <laughs> for snatching someone's girl. Receive acid. Praise God. So when we say the believer has been freed from the consequence and punishment of sin, we are not saying that you can do what you want and nothing will happen. Something will happen right here on earth. But you go through pain before you land in heaven. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right. He says, Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. So he was the just. He suffered for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Where are we? With God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. So Jesus suffered for our sins. And if Jesus suffered the punishment for our sins, God would never make you suffer for your sins. There are people who have been taught that when you sin, God will punish you and God will cause you to suffer on earth for what you have done. I, I don't know where we read and how we read our Bibles in the New Testament. Listen, if you want to justify anything with the Bible, you can. You can justify murder with the Bible. You can justify theft with the Bible. You can justify polygamy with the, in the Bible. You can justify anything at all you want to justify. But we have made to we have been made to understand that we understand all things in Christ. All right, 
That's for another teaching. Number seven, we said he cleansed and washed us from all our sins. I just read that in Revelation chapter 1, the verse um, 5. Jesus cleansed and washed us from all our sins. This is a reality. Now, when we are seeing Jesus washed and cleansed you from all your sins, don't look at your outward demonstrations. They won't match. Praise God. How many know that the Corinthian church was one of the most stubborn churches Paul ever uh, pastored? How many know that? They were the worst of all. There was fornication to an extent that someone was sleeping with his own stepmother in the Corinthian church. Abuse of spiritual gifts, abuse of communion. You can imagine you are coming for communion. Someone brings one loaf of bread alone for himself. So Paul had to use two chapters to deal with communion. Praise God. So some actually were actually getting drunk before the service began. So you can imagine pastor says, rise up on your feet and someone is just going like this. So Paul had to write First and Second Corinthians to deal with that problem. But amazingly, Paul never threatened any of them with hell. Look at how he introduced himself and themselves to themselves. In First Corinthians chapter 1, the verse 2, watch this. Before he addressed their sinful behaviors, he says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are, come on. <laughs> you see, this does not make sense with the human mind. Stop reasoning the finished work. These guys were causing divisions. It was in 1 Corinthians 3 that Paul spoke about the carnal man. When he says, are you not babes? For whereas there is amongst you envying, division, strife. Are you not canal? And behave and walk as mere men. So these were people who were engaging in all forms and all sorts of habits. Yet he began his letter by saying, the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ. These were people who were actually going to prostitutes to sleep with them. And yet Paul tells them, do you not know that your body is the temple of God? He didn't say, do you not know you are going to hell? Amazing. He says, do you not know? So if you find a believer sinning continuously, his problem is knowledge. sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, look at the next one. Can you imagine? Called to be saints. The same verse. Called to be saints. Do you know who a saint is? A saint is one who is holy. It's not a title. It's a calling. You know, you hear somebody say, Saint Pope, Saint this. It's not the name attached to you. It's a reality. You are a saint. You might have problems with your behavior. God says you are a saint. You are called to be a saint. Now, do you realize the word to be? The word to be is italicized or it's into bracket, right? When you read a very good Bible, you realize that words that were not, uh, were not part of the original are slanted this way or put into bracket. Anytime you are reading the Bible and you find a word that has been slanted or italicized or uh, put into bracket, that means it was not in original. Uh, the uh, translators put it there to make sense. So it's not actually called to be a saint. You are not called to be a saint. He says called saints. 
Praise God. In 1 Corinthians 6, the verse 12. Now watch this. <laughs> I don't know whether it's an owl making the noise or... Okay. All things are... Lo- no, the verse 11, sorry. Look. Uh, the verse 9. He says... Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Uh-huh. He says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at the next verse. He says, and such were. Such what were. You know, sometimes people don't read the Bible in context. You don't read the Bible in context. That's the problem. Contextual reading is a problem. People just take anything and make a doctrine out of it. You can't make a doctrine out of a verse. It's dangerous. So someone read and say, the Bible says, do you not know that fornicators will not inherit? The Bible says in the verse 11, and such were some of you. That means that behavior is not expected of you. So he said, this was your former life. So though they were doing it, he says, that, that was how you were before. So Paul is telling them, you are bigger than this. If you find a believer comfortably singing, you know what he's doing? He's living below his class. You are living below your class. A believer who comes to church to locate women to fire, that one to be, that one to be matured. You are living below your class. You can imagine the church of God with God's children. You are there scanning and scheming. I mean, how? No, it doesn't make sense. Who can be my prey before the year ends? <laughs> can you imagine a believer who is dressing to come and locate to fire? No, you are just simply carnal. See, you are, you are just destroying the work of God. And you can be a believer for that matter. See, see, I tell people that, listen, if we have the right revelation about church, there are some things we will not do. Do you know that the one sitting beside you is your spiritual brother or spiritual sister? What you cannot do to your sister, your blood sister, your blood brother, you can't do to your sister in Christ. No. You can't quarrel with your brother for one year. How? You can't quarrel with a Christian for one year. It's not possible. That's your brother you are joking with. The one who Christ also died for. So when we have enough revelation, we will know how to deal with each other. That's my brother. Even when you are married, your wife is your sister in Christ. Because in heaven, you will not stand beside your wife. That's what pains me. You can imagine 
Then my wife is looking at me. I can't say honey. My son is not my son again. My son is my brother. And we are all standing. And he's also standing, pocketing, like watching me like that. Oh yeah, why? Also, yeah, why? It's painful. Tell someone that's your brother. If you're, if you're, uh, that's your sister. If you are sitting beside the man, you should know the right thing now. Praise God. He says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are. Now look at the words he used. Very strong words. And they are all in the past tense. Ye are washed. The word washed in Greek is luo, which means to, to bath entirely. He says, so you are luod. He says, you are sanctified. To be sanctified means to be hallowed. To, to be made uncommon. And he says, you are justified. So, if I hear believers saying, we are all not worthy. You know there's a problem with his knowledge. He is a spiritual bonbon. I told you on Wednesday. You know, we have people who are spiritually daft. We are saved by works. Bonbon. What you do is what takes you to heaven. Bon one. Praise God. So there are people who are spiritually daft. They don't understand New Testament realities. Some are cake in understanding. They are still thinking like Moses. Even Moses has moved on. <laughs> have you not read in Hebrews 12? The Bible says we have come to the spirit of just men made perfect. Even Moses has been perfected. So if, you, if Moses is still singing, we are still under the law. Moses is still He's just disappointed in you. I heard a pastor saying that they, we should still institute the Ten Commandments in all schools. I said, look, you are instituting death in all schools. The Bible says for the, for the, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. When you introduce law to people, you give them the knowledge of sin. Until I said, thou shalt not kill. Did you know stealing was uh, a sin? So when I said, thou shalt not, I now give you the knowledge of sin. So what the Lord does is that He gives you the knowledge of sin But does not give you power over sin That's the problem with the law So you can't live by the law It's impossible Well that's for another teaching He says but ye are washed But ye are sanctified But ye are justified That's a term that is used in the law court Justification it's a judicial term whereby a judge declares a man not guilty. That's justification. You are acquitted and discharged. You are made right. The kaiosune. <laughs> Praise God. He says, you are washed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word name in Greek is what? Onoma, which means what? Reputation. Your name is your identity, your reputation. Your achievement is your name. When you hear Akufu Ado, what comes to your mind? President. The man fought to become a president. 
Are you seeing that? So your name is your reputation. So he says, we have been washed, justified, justified, sanctified in the reputation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means in what he did. That is by the spirit of our God. Remember in Revelation 1.5, the Bible says you are washed in the blood. Now it says you are washed in the name. So it's the same thing. It also says you are washed in the spirit. So to be washed in the blood is to be washed in his reputation. It also means to be washed in the spirit. No wonder the Bible says in Titus chapter 3, the verse 5, he says, who saved us, not according to uh, uh, works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewal of the Holy Ghost. It's the same. Praise God. I love this thing. Hey! Recap. As well. So, we also spoke about the divine realities of forgiveness. Let me just brush it through. Please go and listen to the teaching. We said, number one, forgiveness is a person. It's a gift. It's a message we preach. When we are preaching the gospel, we are preaching forgiveness. When a man receives Christ, what does he receive? Forgiveness. Um, Acts chapter 13. Let's see the verse 38. Now watch this. He says, be it known unto you, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Next verse. He says, and by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. It's too good. So forgiveness is a person. The Bible says, in whom? That means in Christ. Ephesians 1 7 we have we 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 have redemption through his blood eh? the forgiveness of sins what is another name for the forgiveness of sins redemption so you can have redemption without having the forgiveness of sins we established that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, the Bible says it is of God that we are in Christ Jesus who is made unto us 113, so 130. Who is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? So redemption is a person who is Jesus. So when the Bible says, In whom we have redemption, what name can you put there? Jesus Christ. That means in whom we have Jesus Christ through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, what is another name for Jesus Christ? Redemption. What is another name for redemption? The forgiveness of sins. So if you have Christ, what do you have? Redemption. If you have redemption, what do you have? Forgiveness of sins. So we call it spiritmatics. So you do the mathematics yourself. Praise God. So we have the forgiveness of sins. We have Jesus. Number two, we said forgiveness is once and eternal. God does not forgive sins twice. Man of God. Yes. Forgiveness is what? Once and eternal. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. How many times? Once. Into the holy place. Having obtained 
eternal redemption. What is redemption? The forgiveness of sins. Having obtained eternal forgiveness of sins. God won't forgive you twice. You know, that's what people are struggling with. God forgave us how many times in Christ? Once. If God forgives you twice, it means Christ must die again. Hebrews chapter 9, the verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into her, having itself to appear in the presence of God for us. Now watch the next verse. The verse 25. He says, Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Watch this. He says, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now, how many times? Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to do what? Put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Next verse. He says, and as is appointed unto men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There's a seven column there. This is not a message for funeral. It's a New Testament reality. He says, as is appointed unto men to die once, he says, so Christ. So he was not there. So you hear people preaching and saying, it's appointed unto man to die once. So, and after death is judgmental. There was a semicolon. That means he had not finished. Like people have been quoting um, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Beloved, let's plead the blood. There was a semicolon there. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. So he says, for it's appointed on a man to die once. What was he trying to teach us? How many times does a man die? true so he was saying just like every man dies once christ also used one time death to deal with your sin let me explain again he says every man dies once after this is judgment he says just like every man's death is once christ also died once to meet our appointment with the judgment of death so he says so christ okay let's he says, an ass is appointed unto man to die once, but after this is the judgment. Do you see the semicolon? So, the real issue is what he's about to say next. You can't build a doctrine out of what he said in verse 27. He says, so Christ. So, he was using that to explain so Christ. So Christ was offered, how many times? Once to do what? Bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear a second time without sin unto. So we don't teach the second coming as a fearful expectation. People have been taught that Jesus is coming and when he's coming, he's coming to kill. That's what we teach. It's not true. It's not consistent with the scriptures. The Bible says, now that he has borne our sins, those who have believed, we are waiting eagerly for his second appearance. When he comes for the second time, he is coming without sin unto salvation. That means he's coming to save you fully. Fully. 1 Thessalonians 
No, 418, sorry. 418. I come to the verse 16. Look, we have been reading these scriptures to scare people. Look, he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Next verse. He says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's where we get rapture, right? Together with him in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. People always hold on there. There's a next verse, last verse. What did he say? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the teaching of rapture is to comfort believers. Not to scare them. Am I helping someone here? Good. So, number three, forgiveness is an expression of God's grace and love. Number four, forgiveness is a blessing. I've explained to you that a lot of times people have misunderstood blessing because we've taken everything God does into the material world. You see, a car is not a blessing. A house is not a blessing. They can be the effect of the blessing. The Bible says it's the blessing of the Lord that make it rich. So, wealth can be an effect of the blessing. So, blessing in itself is not material. The Bible says God blessed Adam and said, so blessing was in words. Be fruitful and multiply. So, blessing is not material. Does God give people material things? Yes, he does. Because he meets our needs because we are in a physical world. Does he prosper people financially? Yes. But true prosperity is not money. True prosperity is actually being born again, number one, and developing your soul through spiritual growth. A rich man to God is not one who has billions. It's one who is spiritually developed and is growing spiritually. That's a rich man. So we confuse blessings to be material things. Listen, whatever all believers don't have in common cannot be called a blessing. If I have a car and you don't have a car, that car is not a blessing. Whatever God gives to believers, he gives to believers in common. What is that? Salvation. Come on. Forgiveness. Come on. Redemption. Come on. Are you seeing that? So that is what we call blessing. So blessing in itself is spiritual. If blessing is money, then the sheikhs in Dubai are really blessed. Remember, God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make you a great nation and thou shalt become a blessing. In Genesis 13, the verse 2, the Bible says this man was rich in cattle. Yet in Genesis 27, God promised him again a blessing. God says I'll bless you. In chapter 13, the Bible says he was rich in cattle and in gold. In chapter 27, he says I'll bless you. So that blessing was not money. That blessing spiritual is what Christ did that's blessing and that's what we have in forgiveness praise God number five we said forgiveness is one-sided forgiveness is one-sided oh my God number six we said forgiveness is basics for children first John chapter 2 the verse 12 we have explained that he says, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven. Have you realized that anytime the New Testament uses forgiveness, it mentions that in, in past tense. The believer will not be forgiven. He is forgiven. And this must sink. Your forgiveness is on pilot mode. 
Praise God. He says, because your sins are forgiven for your confession's sake, for your crying's sake, for your kneeling's sake, for what is name? Repetition. That's how you're forgiven. For his name's sake. So someone says, man of God, so what about, the Bible says we should confess our sins. We have done that teaching already. It's on YouTube. You can get that also on Anchor. Download and listen. Because John tells us we are forgiving for his name's sake. So when he says, if we say we have not seen, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He was not speaking to believers in the context of his epistle. Because exactly in chapter 2 verse 1, he says, Let my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate. He says you go and cry. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And look at what the Bible says in the next verse. He says, and he's a propitiation. That means the atoning victim for our sins and not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what did he mean by saying confess your sins? He says, if we say we have no sin, listen, there is no believer who ever says he has no sin. So if he says these people are saying we have no sin, these people are not believers. So we need to rightly divide the word of truth. John chapter 1, you see, the book of John was not written entirely to believers. There were people who were unbelievers who had a certain strange doctrine called Gnosticism. Which believe that because we are living in the material world, anything we do with our physical body does not matter. In other words, anything that has matter does not matter. So you can do anything with your body, you have not sinned. They also preached that there was no need to love anybody treat anybody what they deserve. So John had to battle Gnosticism and uh, uh, preaching against love. That's why John speaks always of love. So he says, if we say we have no sin, no believer will ever say to himself, I have no sin. Can a believer say that? No. Because he had to believe that Jesus took his sins before he got saved. So how does he come to a conclusion that he has no sin? So these people were saying they have no sin. Then he says, and the truth is not in us. Why did he use the word us? He was using a polite word so that he could invite them to salvation. For example, if Barack Obama is giving a speech in Ghana and said, if we Ghanaians would do well for ourselves, we will make it. He's not a Ghanaian. But he doesn't want to say, if you Ghanaians, it's an insult. So when he says, if we Ghanaians, though he's not a Ghanaian, he wants to be polite. So John saying, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He was saying, you guys, that's what he wanted to say. But if we confess, what's the meaning of confess? The word confess is homologio, from which we have two Greek words, homo and logos. What is homo? Have you heard the word homo sapien? The word homo means same. The word logio is the Greek word from which we have logos, which means word, or utterance, or logic, or theology. So when he says, uh, if we confess our sins, he's saying, if we say the same thing he has said about sin, if we acknowledge what Christ has done for your sins, or if you agree with the same thing God is saying about your sin, then he's faithful to give you his forgiveness. So these people have not come to acknowledgement, to agree with what God has done for our sins. So actually, John was telling them to accept the Lordship of Christ who took care of their sins. Anyway, we did a full teaching on that, so go and get it. All right. 
So, First uh, John chapter two, the verse twelve. <laughs> he says, "I write to you, which children? Little, which children? Little." Now, John was grading groups of believers in the book of John. Now, look at the next verse. He said, I write unto you what? Fathers. So they were, when they talk of fathers, not gray-headed people. Those who are spiritually matured. Because he have known him from the beginning. I write unto you, young men. So there are three categories. Children, young men, and fathers. For the children, the babes in his house, babes in his church, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. So forgiveness is basic for babes in Christ. So, if you can't agree that your sins are already forgiven, you are not even a child, you are a fetus. Are you seeing this? So, he has not even come to young men and fathers. Shout, I'm forgiven! See, there is nothing more liberating than waking up in the morning and know that you, have, you don't have to beg God for sin of omission and commission. And diffusion. We've been in bondage before. Listen, when you hear me teach, don't feel I'm somebody who just went to learn and I'm telling you. See, the Lord has whipped me before. And when I, when I started understanding grace, I was doubting it. You see, that is how grace is. When you hear it, it is too good to be true. You will doubt it the first time. Especially if you are under the law. That's why people who the prostitutes and the red, when they hear grace, they embrace it quickly. <laughs> Quick what? Lee. Some of you came from good homes, so when you hear it's like, I, I ain't taking it. I want explanation. A, a prostitute does not need explanation. Tell him God loves you. Say, hey, true, I receive him. <laughs> so some of you don't know the essence of God's grace. I told people, you will not know what grace, the value of grace, until you fall into an addiction. You'll find you running, looking for grace. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. Paul says, for I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I'm forgiven. So we boast in our forgiveness in Christ. It is not my begging that brings forgiveness. There are people who think, who think uh, uh, their shed tears brings forgiveness. No, it is the shed blood that brings forgiveness. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of your confession. No, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has made to perish you to superabound. In all wisdom, careful calculation. He, see, when you hear forgiveness, don't think God overestimated it. He carefully calculated it. He knew what he was doing. To give you the abundance of grace. So, man of God, are you saying we don't need to beg God? For? For? Forgiveness? Since when? In the Old Testament, when you sin, you don't beg. You carry a lamb. So, begging has got nothing to do with salvation. We don't beg. We know what he has done and we receive and we walk in it. 
do you have to say sorry? You can because I, I apologize to the Holy Spirit. When he leads me and I fail and later troubles come, I say, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, you know, if, if you are with your wife or if you are married, you understand forgiveness carefully. Now, before I, I do something against my wife, in her heart, she has already forgiven me. She has forgiven me already, right? It is not my begging that makes my wife forgive me. She has forgiven me in my heart. But when I apologize, it's courteous and nice. It's respectful. But never for a second should I think that by kneeling, begging, that's what will make her forgive me. No. So even if men can do this, how much God? So it's not a begging that. You can say sorry, but the sorry is just a consent to let God know that, I mean, you didn't like what you did. But that doesn't bring forgiveness because he has forgiven you in Christ. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Let the poor say, let the one who sins say, I beg. You see? Let the one who sins say, I am the righteousness of God. I have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So what do you do next? You go to God's word, find out what God's word has said about that weakness, and walk in that word. So we have many people who just pretend as hypocrites in the presence of God. God, it won't happen, but light the light. And God knows in his heart that you are just leaving to go and finish what you started. So some just keep pretending. So uh, there's a time I was teaching on forgiveness somewhere and someone says, man, I don't agree. I don't agree. We still have to beg. I said, go and beg. Eh. Is it my concern? Go and beg. You don't want freedom. Stay. Stay. Go and beg. Man of God, are you saying that eh, we should go and sin? That's not what I said. That's what you said. That's what you said. Because when I understood grace, the only thing that came to me was service. To live for him. To give myself for him. Because he gave himself for me. That's it. Praise God. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. You see, so I said forgiveness is once. In the Old Testament, uh, on the day of atonement, who enters the holy place? Does the team follow him? <laughs> Old covenant, high priest goes alone, carrying the whole nation. So whatever he did in that dark room, who did he do it for? The whole nation. So they did not have to follow him to the holy place. We did not have to follow Jesus to heaven to go and finish redemption. Because what? We were in him when he went to heaven. I've explained to you when we were in school, we had a, a group assignments. And in a group assignments, you know, I had that revelation from you. About how many? Seven, eight years ago. I still remember it now. I still teach it. We had groups of, let's say, ten with a group leader. Those days on campus, if you have groups of ten, maximum only four will <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying the rest of them the, the MTN number you have dialed does not exist <laughs> the day the assignment is done that's where they appear ah Charlie you write my name <laughs> so sometimes people don't show up to participate in assignment and to an extent the group leader will do all the hard work all the labor and if he's a good man, he'll write your name and tell you, come inside. 
and he will submit it. When he submits it and the lecturer gives you 10 over 10, whether you performed or not, you still scored what? The, that 10 belongs to Christ was the group leader. The assignment was your sins. The assignment was to deal with your sin. And when he was looking for you, come and help me. You were out of coverage area. You were not even born. And he says, you know something? I'll carry this all by myself. I'll do all this work by myself. And he died on the dead day he rose and presented himself to the chief lecturer. And God said, turn around my son. And he turned around. He says, turn over turn. When he said turn over turn, automatically, because we were in him, we scored the same points. His righteousness is my righteousness. His holiness is my holiness. His victory is my victory. His power is my power. His spirit is my spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that raised me from spiritual death. If he's a saint, I'm a saint. He's born from the dead. I am born from the dead. If he's called a child of God, I am a child of God. If Jesus cannot go to hell, I cannot go to hell either. If Jesus cannot perish, I cannot perish either because I am in him. Have you ever thought of this? That whatever cannot happen to Jesus cannot happen to us. Do you know that whatever happened to Adam was what happened to us even though we were not born? Our, our birth was a signature into Adam. Our birth into Christ is a signature into Christ. What is true of him is true of me. Do you know Jesus is the son of God? And do you know you're a son of God? Can Jesus be in hell? Can you be in hell? You see, people don't get this. So when you hear a pastor, you hear a minister, you hear someone threatening people with hell, this man has not caught the revelation of who Jesus is in the believer. I told you salvation is marriage. When Adam rose, he saw a bride because this bride came from him. Remember from the side, blood and water came out from Jesus. From the side of Adam, Eve came. When Adam rose from sleep, he saw a bride. When Christ rose from the dead, he saw a bride. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Jesus left Mary and Joseph and cleaved unto his wife from redemption. And the two shall become one flesh. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 29, he says, We are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. We are one with him. It's one body. It's marriage. In physical marriage, they said, Till death do us part. In our spiritual marriage, his death made you part. His death made you part. So salvation is a marriage. It's an eternal marriage. Jesus cannot lose you. People don't understand marriage covenants. When you make a covenant, you are saying, irrespective of the behavior of my spouse, I stay faithful. Irrespective of your behavior towards Jesus, he remains a faithful groom. He remains a faithful groom. Salvation is oneness. The two shall be one flesh. The Bible says, for we are members of his body. Do you know you are the body of Christ? Christ is the head of the church. The church is the body of Christ. So every believer is connected to the body of Christ. If Jesus enters heaven without you, God will ask him, where is your leg? Where is your hand? Where is your intestines? Where is your nail? 
Where are your fingers? You are part of that body. Oh, thank you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. What a beauty. What a beauty. That my Savior has redeemed me forever. What a beauty. That God forgave me in Christ before time began. What a beauty. That he went to the cross for me. Today, what we call gospel is only preached at crusades. What we call salvation is now a class, maturity class. After you are done, they graduate you to the main class. What is that class? Ancestral cases. And we miss the whole aspect of the redemptive work of the Son. Average believer just in Ghana here does not know and have assurance of his salvation. You ask him if he's saved, he tells you only God knows. Complete nonsense. So what have you believed? Much more, who have you believed all this while? We have people dressing up, going to church to take selfies. Yes, they don't know the one who saved them. And it's a big shame that to be a Christian for more than two years and not have assurance of your salvation is a disgrace to the body of Christ. When the Bible says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some teachers, some pastors, some evangelists for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. We are perfected for work. And many have been Christians for so many years. Yet they are struggling. Will you go to heaven? I don't know. Are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. How do you know you are saved? Oh, because I've been going to church. Because I've been giving my offering. Because I don't sin. We hear this from Christians every single time. You ask them about salvation. Who is their teacher? Who is raising them? What words are they hearing? That makes them say that they are going to help them because of something they have done. Imagine we all go to heaven and everybody has different reasons for coming. How did you get here? I was good. How did you get here? I was a member of the choir. How did you get here? I was working 24 hours for Jesus. How did you get here? I was evangelizing. How did you get here? I was giving good offerings. These are good works. They don't bring salvation. They bring rewards. So you can't come to heaven with any of these reasons. I heard someone say, if you don't tithe, you will not go to heaven. I said, where from this in the New Testament? What have we been hearing? What have we been teaching? That not giving tight, not giving physical money will end you in hell. Then what did the blood of Jesus do? What did his suffering accomplish? What did the redemptive work of Christ do? Why did he die? Why was he buried? Why was he raised? He died, was buried, and was raised so that when you don't give money, you will not be with him. How have we insulted the redemptive work of my brother Jesus? And our brother. No. We won't sit down. We will teach the redemptive work of Christ with all power, with all authority, without fear or favor. Whether it empties the church or it fills it. We'll tell people what Jesus has done for them. Your sins are forgiven once and for all and eternally. And nothing can change that fact. You can never outsin God's grace, and that is the reality. You can never outrun His grace.
His grace is abundant. I'm loved by God. He died for me. I boast in redemption. That's my asset. That's my property. That's my blessing. That's my inheritance. That's what I walk in. It's my boasting. There are people who boast in their cars. People boast in their new phones. We boast in redemption. We boast in eternal things. Things that have value. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. Eternally forgiven. Once and for all forgiven. My begging does not bring forgiveness. His redemptive work brought me forgiveness. My tears that I shared does not bring forgiveness. His blood that he shared brings me forgiveness. I have the forgiveness of sins. Ah, my sins are forgiven. God will not count my sins against me. Ever. (laughs) And in Sunday school, we're told that when we get to heaven, they'll line all of us. And they'll project all our sins on a thousand inches Samsung flat screen. Now it's not even flat screen, it's LED screen. Then everybody's lined up and they are watching. Next, you stand on the scale. You were born on April 28th. From babyhood stage to 10 years, clean. From age 15, let's move on. You stole meat from your mother's meat. Guilty or not guilty? Guilty, sir. If you say not guilty, you are saying I'm lying. Give it the screen. Then you are sure you were walking like. Gabriel, it's okay. Guilty. Move on. I mean, how can we imagine such a vain thing? A screen projecting seats. I read a book of a man that went to heaven. He's called, uh, called Charles and Francis Hunter. They went to heaven. And they entered into a certain warehouse where there were archives of people there. And the angel said to him, pick any of the archives. Fortunately, when he picked the archive, it was the archive of Abraham. So he started going through the archives of Abraham. And he saw all the good things, all the good works that Abraham did on earth. He scanned through and scanned through and went to the end. And was still scanning through. And the angel was asking, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for the sins of Abraham. I'm looking for where he lied that Sarah was the sister instead of the husband. And the angel smiled and says, over here, we don't record the sins of the sins. <laughs> Glory! You know why? You know why? Because Jesus washed them. He washed them. And guess what? He says, your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. So there is no record. There is no remembrance to record. The account is bankrupt.
a religious man will find a message out of this be careful of the grace preachers a man who values the work of Christ will cry and say Lord all this for me two groups of people we call one Cain we call one Abel those who don't come for Wednesday service it's a mystery What a glory. My sins are forgiven. Come on, shout it with boldness. My sins are forgiven. I'm born again. I'm born of God. He does not keep record of my wrongs. Can you imagine? See, the reason why God does not keep records of your wrongs and the reason why your sins will not be projected is because Jesus destroyed the tape on the cross. There is no tape record. It's the good news. The news that is too good to be true. There are some people who behave like Jonah. They want God to judge everybody. But God is not like you. They wish, you see, they live so, you see, they think they live so good lives. So God should judge everybody. That don't meet your standard. In heaven, when you stand on the scale, you realize that all what you thought was good was called dead works. Because you did it with an understanding that this is what will end God's love. That's wrong. We are forgiven. I'm forgiven. See, this liberty empowers you to grow spiritually. I heard a saying, they had a level, they had a devil. I said, what nonsense is this? Who want to go higher when he knows there's a demon waiting for him? The higher the level, the higher the freedom. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The more you go higher in understanding and make spiritual progress, the more you experience liberty in Christ. I'm saved. This way you boast in. I'm saved. There are some you're only boasting is that I'm married. What should be your boast? 